This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Kurt Marple, CEO of Unstruck Data. I think volume of data is probably one of the big stopping points. Oil and gas companies who spend probably millions of dollars to search the undersea floor of their oil pipelines, and then the data just sits in a bucket somewhere after they capture it and they can't go back and find it and reuse that data. This is Kirk. He's a customer-focused technology leader. He's got over 25 years of experience developing media management pipelines, leading DevOps at venture-backed companies and structuring successful exits. He holds multiple patents and industry awards and has truly established himself as an industry leader. Today, he's the CEO of Unstruck Data. It's a company that's on a mission empowering enterprises to transform unstructured data files into actionable intelligence about real-world assets to solve massive business, environmental, and societal problems. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Kirk to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the data analytics market, and in particular, the unstructured data. Kirk then shares his journey about how he pivoted from building a podcast discovery tool to a data platform for real-world assets. He shares his big lessons learned about coming to market too early and how postponing launch has been a very valuable decision that made the company more recession-proof. Lastly, he shares his experience about what it takes to build a software business that's got staying power. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why the real user value with SaaS solutions virtually always happens in the last mile. Secondly, that the thing that keeps founders awake at night is not to worry about having a compelling solution, but how to attract companies that need it. Thirdly, why messaging is often the hardest thing, not the technology. And fourthly, why having an open platform can cause serious problems in sales and how to go about it. Hi, Kirk. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Well, I mean, it's going to be an interesting conversation. We just had, well, prior to starting the recording of this call, I already had some aha moments from some earlier podcasts that I did with people that are in the data space as well, like, for example, with Oren Hoffman. 
CEO of Safecraft. But today we're going to talk about your company, Unstruck Data, which you founded in February 2021, as I could recall from LinkedIn. Yeah, so exactly. pretty new. And yeah, I mean, it is funny enough, I see more and more companies on my podcast that are that have come a long way in very short time. That's an interesting thing in itself. That's for later on in this conversation. To get things started, just for my audience to know who you are a little bit, not to go through your whole <laughs> your whole career, but if you would define yourself as a person or as a CEO of a company, yeah. what, what words come up? I mean, I think, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a career software developer. I mean, that's kind of where it all stems from. I mean, I'd done my master's in computer science and was at Microsoft for a number of years, like in Microsoft Research. And have always been around this kind of what it had called media kind of data space. So had worked on image processing applications, real-time video, 3D virtual worlds throughout the years. And I just always end up building file par- format parsers. <laughs> like it, it never ends. I've been doing it for 25 years. So different things like that, I seem to always come around. And But I ended up starting a company in the video transcoding space when web video was kind of starting out. And then we ended up getting a sweet spot of a broadcast video. So we sold to like ESPN and NBC and folks like that and had that company for about 10 years and bootstrapped it, sold it. And really then that's when I started to look at, I ended up at General Motors in, after they had bought the cruise, about cruise and was working in helping them with data pipelines in to get data off the cruise vehicles into the hands of data scientists. And that's really where the idea for this company started was kind of, it started to gel of, look, there's more uses for media in industry quote. And that's really what we're all about is it's not just images. It's not just video like I've been doing for broadcast. It's really anything about kind of real world assets and locations that could be, you wrote about it in a document or you took a picture of it. And so I had actually started thinking about and actually working on this platform probably about five years ago on the Uh side, actually more as a podcast discovery tool of trying to get more context from podcasts. And so I had been working on it nights and weekends. And then, yeah, about a year, a little over a year ago, decided to go get funding and take this real. And so I had already had a good bit of the code written just of the platform. I proved it out. And so that's what we were able to hit the ground running to your point of doing a lot quickly. We, I mean, we weren't going from zero. We were going from someplace greater than zero. But yeah, it's been a really, I mean, a wild year. I mean, post-COVID and and everything. So Exactly. Well, post-COVID, I think, February 2021 was, I think, still in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thing in itself. Maybe we can can touch upon that a little bit later on. Interesting to see that your whole career started with different companies. And yeah, I mean, being in Seattle, obviously Microsoft is part of that. And you said there's more room for media in the world in, in various use cases. What was the problem that you saw that we're not solving today by not yeah. using these data, this type of data? I mean, the easiest starting point is just search and search and filter of what we call now data discovery. And it's in the broadcast space. I mean, everybody has a media archive. Everybody has to be like, hey, I need to find this. I mean, either an ad or a show from a couple of years ago because we're going to rebroadcast it. And so companies, I mean, it's very commonplace to have what's called a media asset management tool or a media archive. Yeah. It's essentially a search engine on top of your media to find files. And what I found is there's more, as you get into industry, there's more semantic information where it's not just a Google search by file name or directory name. It's, oh, what is this representative of? And that's really where it all starts. And so that's the problem that it's true. I mean, at its core, it's a semantic search problem of 
I took a picture of water pooling by some part of my manufacturing plant. How do I reference that geospatially? How do I reference it in time? And how do I reference the object or the thing that I'm looking at? And that's really the hard problem that we're trying to solve is it's not the media that you're capturing isn't really the means to an end. It's, or isn't the end game. It's a means to an end. And that's really the big difference that I saw from the broadcast and media days is we're now trying to search by what's being perceived, not just like the name of the file or something like that, or even metadata. I mean, then there's metadata standards that exist to describe and that it's embedded in the file, but that's only still a starting point. Yeah. So, I mean, is it typically the fact that, well, because it's so hard to search for, people don't search at all. Is is the time consuming part? Is it, I mean, how does it help? How well? I mean, to turn it around into into future yeah. futurist stuff. What does this allow people to do now mm-hmm. that they've never been able to do before? I think volume of data is probably one of the big stopping points. I mean, we talk to folks who they have gears of aerial survey data that they've captured, and they use it on like a per day basis or maybe per week basis, and then just gets put in an archive. And they're like, okay, well, we don't need this anymore. It's going to sit in a SharePoint folder or an S3 bucket, and they never touch it. And I've heard this at big companies. I mean, oil and gas companies who spend probably millions of dollars to search the undersea floor of their oil pipelines, and then the data just sits in a bucket somewhere after they capture it, and they can't go back and find it and reuse that data. So there's an efficiency part. There's a kind of speed to insight part. But really, it lets them, I mean, if they could go back and go, hey, just draw a little circle around this part of the ocean or this part of the land and create a time window and put in some tags to basically kind of create a smaller haystack from that data, they can make that data actionable. And then for us, the whole other piece is automation, kind of process automation of tell me when things happen and can maybe you connect to another system to be like, hey, we just dumped in last week's flight and here's, we're sort of triaging the data for people and then they can go, oh, okay, here's something I can act on. Where before, I mean, it would be manual. And the, I mean, we literally hear this where they're just stepping through images, but there are thousands of images. And yeah. you just get into that problem where it's, you kind of get numb to just seeing so much data. And I think that's really one of the problems we're trying to solve is just collating data sets down into something that either we can action on automatically or just is more reasonable for a human to do. Can you give an example of scenario whereby you could completely automate things? Yeah, I mean, the inspection use case is one where we had talked to somebody that was a maintenance engineer at a port. And six hours a day, he'd be on his daily route, just going around, taking pictures of things and reporting to his manager. But it was such a manual process where he would take it on his phone, pictures on his phone, go back to his desk, spend maybe a half an hour fighting with his getting his the images off his phone just to like plug it in, copy him, deal with the, all that problem. And then have to manually triage that data. And then literally it was printing out pictures, printing out some of these to hang on the wall for the next shift or for the manager. And so we built an iOS app that would directly upload to our platform. So you could take pictures, video, audio. So by the time he's back at his desk, that problem is solved. It's already there. But then also the idea of setting up what we call triggers to say, okay, when you see this, do this, like hit me on Slack, send me an e- like we could now do email reports, we could do web hooks out to other systems. And then, but really the magic or the key part then is, okay, what do we find? 
So ML models are really the key thing, but we're not going to build every ML model in the world. And that whole area is commoditizing so much. So we've now built a platform. So if you have an ML model deployed in the cloud anywhere on any platform, we can plug it in and then take the results of it back into our knowledge graph. And then that's things that you can then trigger on and, and start to collate and start to see patterns. And really at the end of the long-term view is trend analysis and start to be like, oh, hey, we didn't see water pooling up until June. Now we're starting to see water pooling in every picture that happens to be taken. And we start to then can be like fire an urgent alert or not, maybe not urgent because it's been happening over a month, but some kind of summary of like, hey, you probably need to send out a maintenance and an inspection over there. And then the cool thing we want to get to is correlating that with, well, was this just due to rain? I mean, do we just happen to get a rainstorm? We can go and query weather APIs and things like that. And then be like, oh, okay, that seems normal. It was rainy that day. But then if we yeah. see it was dry for seven days and we still see water pooling. So that whole data enrichment part of it is what we're just scratching the surface of that right now. But yeah. that's kind of the long term yeah. view is there's so much more we can do with that. And then we can start exactly. correlating other data sets and things like that. Yeah. What, what fascinates me because this is actually so broad. And you said, okay, if it has a location and it has a date, then we can work with it. But yeah, I mean, what are industries that just walk away with you? You know, that when they see it, they stay, they can't unsee it anymore and they would miss it if it was gone. You mean in a negative sense that it doesn't work for them? And no, no, yeah, no, no. Oh. There's something they, they say, okay, give it to me. Don't, oh, don't oh, we'll yeah. never take it away from me again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we just showed to some government agencies that are doing like wildlife analysis. That was an yeah. end or like, we need this now. Like, I mean, just the ability to visual, because we have a UI tool for data visualization and search. It's kind of like a tableau for this kind of data. You can, I mean, filter and search and visualize and all those kind of things. And like for us, it's such a broad concept and it really is a new type of data platform because it's heterogeneous with different formats. It's a bit hard to sell in per se, because you can't just go, hey, we have a data platform. But once we click with someone that's like, okay, I have all this data now what I can do with it. And we even had a, a call the other day with somebody who's doing 3D inspection, like 3D scanning. And they were thinking about it in a small sense. And when we said, hey, we can actually capture your Zoom meetings. We can capture your, I mean, documents about the mines and different things like that. And I think it just changes the perspective of, whoa, this is like a much bigger knowledge management problem that we could solve, not just yep. find these specific things. But I think we're, I mean, for us, it's a messaging thing of like, how do you describe that? It's a new concept primarily. And so we're, we're still trying to hone in on the right way to explain it. But yeah, once, I, once we, I mean, I'm, this is the world that I live in all my life and I could see that coming already because this is, you have to be, yeah, like you said, you have to really explain it in clear words to people for them to sort of grab the whole thing. And once they get it, likely they'll start to think with you and then I can do this yeah. and, I can, and I can do that. But before that, no, no one is really looking for this because they haven't got a clue it's even possible. Right, right. I mean, nobody, <laughs> I have a joke that like nobody Googles for what an unstructured data platform is. I mean, it's like, no. No one, it's just so, but once we talk to people, that's why event marketing works great for us. Like we've met really targeted folks. And yeah. once you talk to them for a few minutes, then they're like, oh, wow. Okay, this is great. But it's like, how do you explain that in a, on a web page or something yeah, like that? Exactly. So, so it's tricky. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, let me just kind of flip forward in terms of yeah. you started February 2021. It's now, when we record, it's May. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually June, June 2022. So one and a half years later, almost, you've got a platform. 
you're meeting customers, you're getting, you said you're about to launch version one, but uh, hopefully you got some better customers live already. How do you start something like this? I mean, you said you were already yeah. like, working on it for about five years, but to really go from the idea towards a sellable product with so many different options here, what did you decide to focus on in order to make something that's remarkable? It's interesting. I mean, so we raised a seed round last year and I had a group of folks that I'd worked with before. So we kind of pulled the gang back together. I mean, that was key. So having people I could rely on and I mean, we all knew each other really well. We'd worked well in this kind of remote first world and everybody kind of had their role. I mean, so I'm the back end dev. We have a great front end team. We have QA. We have all the pieces. I think that's a good start. I mean, I think the part two is I'd done a lot of customer discovery prior to starting the company. Yeah. And so I was at a, I was CTO of a company that was kind of prototyping a product in this space. And so we had a lot of good conversations that validated a lot of my ideas as well. And so we went into it pretty opinionated. And with all my background in the media space, I mean, I knew, I mean, tagging methodologies and search and filter and visualization, like it was pretty obvious. I mean, the starting feature set, like I think we knew pretty much. And so that brought us like to October of last year, we were about what, six or seven months in, we had a functional product that we were like, well, can is this sellable at this point? So we started doing some event marketing. People got it, but it just wasn't, there wasn't enough meat on the bone yet. And uh-huh. we're, we knew that wasn't, well, I mean, that's why we're launching officially now. Like we knew that there was a lot more we needed to do just to have the full experience of what we were trying to get to. And just having a, it was essentially a search platform at that point, but it's people wanted to, number one, do something when like with their data, like alerts and kind of connecting out when things happen. And the other two is more extensibility, like just what we used out of the box for our ML or different things like that weren't. We only had like the Azure APIs in there at that point for vision and things like that. But it's about what matters to the customer for what's being identified in their data. We realized that like we had to close that last mile more to make it really compelling for them. Let me make a small interruption here. Kirk just made a critical remark about what it takes to not just get customers, but to get customers that will turn into fans. It's not about the table stakes or solving the gaps around the things that they expect. It's about creating the peaks around those things that really matter to them. For Kirk's team, that meant really focusing on closing the last mile. It's a typical trade remarkable software companies master. They focus on the essence and then create new value possibilities that are both valuable and desirable. And you can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book. I've made an electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. And so, yeah, I mean, we spent Q4 kind of with early access customers, got feedback, and then Q1, we just put our heads down again. I mean, we actually kind of didn't go hard on go-to-market in Q1 of this year and just really focused on product and eng. Yeah. And just in within the last month, did another conference and started talking to customers more again. And it's been, I mean, positive. And so I think we, I mean, we did, it was the right choice. I mean, there was just... I mean, a year is still not that much time for a product. I mean, it's when you look at like company life cycles, but I mean, it's a really tight product. I mean, I'm really proud of it because visually it looks good. It's functional, it's performant and it has a good feature set. And so I think now we're at the ability to like really push hard for the summer. Uh-huh. And we're fundra- I mean, we're fundraising again now just for kind of a seed extension round, but it's, I mean, go to markets, what it's all about. And then, yeah, I mean, exactly. 
with a Series A, hopefully by early next year at some point. But now with the whole economic world crashing around us, we'll see what happens over the next year. But I think it's the problem we're trying to solve doesn't go away. I mean, it's actually, it's more recession proof because you're trying to do more with less resources. And that was that's kind of what I, uh, yeah, that's exactly, I wrote a book about it. They can yeah. spend to solve problems without hiring. And we saw that in the video space where we had customers who were like, oh, well, that's great. You can go to Netflix, but can you go to these five other services too? And they literally have like three people handling all this. And so we were there helping automate that process in the video space. So it's a similar kind of pain point that we're trying to solve. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then of course the the magic comes like, how do you attract those companies that are not aware of this? That's what keeps me up at night now. I mean, I think product, I think there's a high confidence on product and I'm more of a tech person. So it's the marketing is still, I mean, it's always, I mean, we have good marketing folks now that we've, I've just hired this last quarter and it's starting to get some traction, starting to get some, I mean, the open rates are getting better and the, the replies are getting better. And, but the messaging, just tweaking the messaging and I've been, it's like learning a new computer language. I've thought it's like sales is like, a new, I just have to treat it like that is I have to kind of teach myself all that stuff again and, and be like, okay, how can I be more valuable here? So. Yeah, it's different than running a bunch of code lines. Yeah, it's yeah no. Uh, what, so, what has been the decision in this journey that appeared to be really important for you so far? I mean, I think number one is just the people. I mean, having good people that see the vision, you got to have a good team. I mean, even when I had my old company, it was bootstrapped and everything. It's being able to have people around you to delegate to and not have to do everything is really key. We're still pretty small. And I mean, we could definitely double in size and probably still have enough work for everybody. But right now it's, I mean, you really got to focus on having reliable people that you can just kind of give a direction to and stuff gets done. So, but also I think having confidence in your vision is really the second thing of when we started talking to investors, I mean, some of them were like, just didn't get it. I mean, they're like, uh, no, it's a horizontal platform. This will never sell. But then you start to get into people who are like, oh yeah, unstructured data. Like then VCs, like they were like, had done research in this space. They really understood it. And they're like, oh yeah, this is the next big problem. Like yeah. there's so much data there and they could see over because I mean, we're a bit early. I mean, market time. It's not an obvious thing yet, but for the right people, it's like pain point. That's how it I think it's, it's kind of a bit of a, my curse of always being a little bit early to a market, but the market kind of develops while the products, I mean, getting ready, which is good and bad, but it makes it harder on the sales side. But I think when, once this starts to be more kind of commonly or common awareness, I think then we'll be there. I mean, and we'll be there and, and ready. So, Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you always need, of course, that's why the bell curve is there. You need the innovators. Once the innovators start to use that advantage because they get an advantage from you, yep. the others will start to see that they get, they have a disadvantage and at some point they'll come. Yep. Yeah. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And that whole thing, what does it mean the hardest nut to crack? Is it <clears throat> a tech problem or a business problem? 
it's a business problem. I mean, I think, and that's why like the product we can, I mean, there's been some things that are hard, would have been a little harder than we thought, but nothing more than, I don't know, more in the order of weeks or maybe a month later than we thought it was going to be. It's really a business. I mean, the, the messaging that we were talking about is the hardest thing as well as just getting in front of customers, the right customers. And I mean, we- it's a messaging problem. Yeah, I mean, which is a messaging problem. And I mean, that's the discussion I have with my team now. It's a funnel problem. Once we get to talk to people, we've been pretty successful. And yeah. even we just last week, we had like three meetings or whatever. And each one of them came out of it going, okay, cool. We'll get you some sample data. Let's see what you can do with this. And we started moving forward. And I mean, that's a pretty good hit rate for three or four meetings in a week. But it's how do we create 5X of those meetings and just have that upside, the top side funnel expand? And so that's what we're really focused on. And that's why I've been doing like talks. I have a, a data talk at Austin that is, I guess, in two weeks. Yeah. Um, given a talk about unstructured data. I've done some other ones. And I mean, that gets a great response because once people can kind of hear the story, yeah. it clicks. And these podcasts have been awesome. That's why I appreciate being here is it's just a great way to get our name out there. And, but it's, yeah, it's a small company where we're just seven full-time people and there's only so much you can do, but you gotta, you just gotta hit people where they, you know, they have a problem. And for us, this kind of land management, surveying, kind of like manufacturing plant inspection, those kind of areas are pretty like obvious problems for people where they know they're, cap- they're already capturing data. And that's why I've always said from day one, follow the data and then at least start there. Have you considered really not like honing in, niching down on a particular well, niche in the market? Yeah, we have a little bit, but I don't want to do it too much, at least yet, because there's a good number of vertical companies that are kind of related, but I wouldn't say competitive, but they're like focused on agriculture. They're focused on yeah. construction sites. And I don't want to burn ourselves by limiting ourselves because the platform is so open. And that's like, we just had a meeting about e-discovery, which was like totally something I hadn't really thought much about, but we're a perfect fit for what, I mean, that kind of analysis of different kinds of data for electronic discovery. And so if we had niched into say construction, we would have eliminated some really interesting options in other markets, but it creates a problem for sales too, where we can't just shotgun out to like 500 different things. So we've niched down enough that we call ourselves, we focus on what we call real world assets and locations. So it's perception of something in the real world, either a geospatial region or like a thing, like a building or a a plant or something. And that's at least the most niching we're doing right now. Uh We're not like, we've talked to people about healthcare. We've talked to people about different things. It's just not a focus right now, even though I think there's possible stuff. And who knows? I mean, if we start to get hooks into something, we may niche a different area, but you got to limit a little bit. I mean, especially for messaging. And I think our messaging was, I think, too generic last year where it was just like, hey, we're a data platform. And I thought we could- want to have one. Yeah. I mean, because there's this whole modern data stack and there's data platforms. And I think from a technology industry, it's sort of more familiar, but from a sales side, it's like, we couldn't just go out with that. And I thought we could ride the coattails of- the five trans and the snowflakes. But I mean, we just weren't getting any visibility from that. So we've kind of focused now and say, look, let's focus on their, I mean, kind of flip it around. The data platform is going to be there, but it's really about those real world assets that people are sensing in some perceiving in some way. And that's clicked actually. This last, we've changed that about two months ago. And I think just that simple kind of flipping it upside down, the messaging has helped. Well, I mean, you're talking about, I think the essence there, 
that by adding context, it became simpler to grasp. That's what the, where the art is. And that's going to be tuning and, and experimenting until you find the thing that really works for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting journey. I'm interested to follow this. So, I mean, I wrote my book to remarkable effects. In fact, Orrin Hoffman is actually covered in that book with a couple of quotes around creating leverage mm-hmm. and the importance of that. In a nutshell, the book talks about the 10 traits that define remarkable software businesses. Given your background, Microsoft, I've heard, there was another company I think you talked about in the beginning, but now, of course, you started your own company. What do you believe are the secrets of creating a software company that people start talking about and keep talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I lean more towards kind of the technical co-founder, technical founder kind of software companies that someone has a vision. I mean, and I think there's, I mean, there's something out there and and sure they could not be technical, but they're maybe a really good marketer and they really see a a customer segment, but there has to be somebody with a vision. And I think once you can put the piece together and and a lot of times, I mean, we used to call it the hacker and the hustler. I mean, there's somebody kind of the business guy, somebody, the the tech person. And that was kind of my first company was, was a bit like that. But I think in order to be successful, I mean, you have to really be so engaged with, I mean, either have some innate kind of historical knowledge of the industry, like I've worked in some area that you're just riffing on, or just be really good about customer discovery and be able to get into a new area. I've always been one of those people that has to be passionate about the area that I'm building a company in. Like I was listening to a podcast about the Grubhub guy last night, and I would just never go build like a delivery service thing, even if I had the pain point. Because it's just not a passion area, but I was working on, I've worked on like media applications and music area things and podcast platforms and as a passion project, because that's what I'll put the time in. And so I think the best companies are ones that are, I mean, the companies I like to watch are the ones where somebody has a vision and a passion around it. But then also, I mean, it's figuring out that market segment is really key and how to monetize it is be able to think through, is it just a software project or is it a company? And that's why like I've had, I've had ideas like the podcast thing I was thinking of, I went down that road for a while and was like, if I'm not Spotify or Apple, I'll never be able to monetize this. Like, cause it required a new client, like a new something for people to play the podcast through to get the value of the data, this knowledge. Yeah, about yeah, the podcast. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't figure out how to solve that problem. And yeah. so I was like, I need to come up with another idea. The technology was, I mean, it's still the same technology essentially under the hood, but it's, and nobody's still done it. That's the annoying part that, I mean, you spot kind of like the podcast search and everything, like there's so much room for innovation there to, to think of a topic we talked about today and go find, okay, four to five other podcasts that have that topic and had Oren from Safegraph on there and just be able to search by that kind of stuff. That's what I could do. I was being, I was able to do, but it's, I mean, it's just so difficult to innovate when there's so little, the consumption is very limited. It's like having one type of TV channel. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big podcast fan. And so I hear you talk and yeah, it's frustrating sometimes how long it takes or how difficult it is to find. Yeah. Podcasts that you like, could like as well, or, yeah. or on a specific topic that is of yeah. interest to you at a certain point in time. And that has to do with, yeah, I mean, if it's not in the show notes, you won't find it. So it's yeah. an interesting problem to crack in the first place. <laughs> yeah, you're making a couple of interesting points here about solving a valuable problem, something that's also urgent, critical, like in demand, priority to people, mm-hmm. but then also something where you can make a difference. And if that if one of those pieces is not available, 
You got yeah. actually you got nothing. No, you see a lot of that. I mean, it's I mean, either they throw a lot of money at a problem and like I'm not a, I mean, I mean, we got funded, but it's not, I mean, compared to what some companies are getting, it wasn't a ton. But it's I mean, you could look at it and go, I mean, I think some companies just take in too much money too early. And I think there's a I mean, we tried to look at it and go, okay, look, we need just enough to keep, I mean, a decent sized company just to grow to get this off the ground. But I think you still need to stay hungry. And, and that's where I think there's a balance there of, I mean, I've done that bootstrapping and it's very difficult, but it's, I think, I mean, just these, I don't know, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of like crypto and web three, but it's just the money that's been thrown at like $80 million here and $50 million there. And it's like, what problem are they trying to solve? And I, I mean, it's just, they're, it's not, I'm more so of a, kind of, yeah, I'm more of a meat and potatoes. Like, look, I'm trying to help this guy at the port save an hour a day. Like, and he literally says he's only at his desk two hours. If I can help him save an hour of that, I've just doubled his efficiency every week. And that's the kind of stuff that's fun. I mean, if you can see that kind of impact. I completely agree. And you make a very interesting point also about bootstrapping. I actually posted something on LinkedIn about, yeah, a quote that I actually heard on another podcast, Starting Greatness. And there was this like bold statement, traction before funding, period. Oh, I just, Um, I just saw that. I can't remember who posted that. Yeah. I mean... If you can do it, it's great, but it comes down to personal finances then, I mean, in a way. I mean, so it's like someone's going to have to pay it. Either you're going to have to have savings or you're going to have to get funding. And Customers paying for it, like that's where bootstrapping, of course, is originated yeah. from. But what I typically see at the end is, of course, it's good when everything needs, needs funding. Yeah. The question is where it's coming from and what do you do with it? And what you typically see, of course, is that a lot of companies get funding too early before traction. Mm-hmm start spending it like they have traction and then end up in extreme problems. Exactly. And that's what, I mean, I've, I've even done contracting work as a dev when I first started, when I was bootstrapping, I was, I had contract jobs. Even when I, I had went full time on that podcast concept and I was contracting on the side with the company, actually the company I sold my product, my old company to, I was still just fixing bugs in my old product on the side to fund the new project. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you got to, it's essentially funding from somewhere, but yeah, you don't want to, I mean, if we had had $50 million, I don't even know what we would have spent it on the first year. And that's, I mean, you just, you end up building stuff that like, you have no idea why. And so, so it's it's a balance, but I mean, were there, would I've loved to have two or three more people this last year? Sure. But you make do with what you have. So. Yeah, exactly. That's the, but it keeps you honest about what is really moving the needle and yeah, what matters at the end. Now, from all the lessons that you've learned in your career, it's a wisdom that you've gained. If you would have to give some advice to people that aspire to be a CEO or people that aspire to kind of yeah, do something great again, mm-hmm. what would be a do and what would be a don't? I, mean, I think self-awareness. I mean, I'm always questioning myself and just be like, okay, I mean, do you have enough data to make this decision? Are you kind of being like, is this really going from your kind of, just the way you've always done it? Or is this like, are you making educated decisions? So I think just that self-reflection, self-awareness, I think is so key just to, I mean, be able to know that maybe you aren't, I mean, it sounds bad. Maybe you aren't the smartest person in the room, or maybe you don't have all the details. So you got to look for that, those answers and trust your team. And I think in those areas when I know, okay, this is my area, I don't really know. So I'm just going to work, have good people around me that I can fit in. And then, I mean, from don't, I think, don't be, I think, don't be so separate from what the product, like the customer and the product is like from, don't be just sort of a pure manager. Like I think there's, I think 
you have to really be engaged with what is the product that's being built at a small SaaS company, especially it's like, there can't be kind of siloing of the business side and the tech side. I mean, sales is product and product is sales. It's really, they're so intertwined that I think companies that try and be like, okay, you go sell and we go build. That's where I see a lot of problems. So I think it's, I mean, we have, I just brought our, I mean, we're now kind of with a a great product owner and brought her on on sales call. And it's like, we're kind of calling her the sales engineer, even though (laughs) it's so small, but they're doing customer discovery at a sales engineering level is really not that different than doing customer discovery from a product owner level. They're kind of the same thing. And this is kind of what you tell the person they are in the call. And, but it was great. I mean, she was able to get more detail here from a customer, but then she also went to a trade show with us and went like, listen to what they were talking about. But I think be able to leverage that information and just, we all should wear a lot of hats, but you gotta, you gotta be engaged and it all feeds back into sales and marketing and messaging and all these kind of things too. They're just all so intertwined. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for the advice. Often you don't realize it enough. And even in small companies that can already start to become a problem. So the longer you can stay away from the silos, the better it is. Because I've seen huge problems around that. Yep. Well, thanks for this. Where can people go to find out more about Unstruck Data or to say hi to you? Yeah, I mean, for myself, LinkedIn is probably my main thing. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm more of a lurker. But the company, um, unstruck.com, and we actually have a YouTube video, demo video um, that we just did. And, And we're on LinkedIn as well. The company's on at Unstruck on Twitter. So we'll post some things. We have a bunch of new partner announcements coming out probably over the next month. It's really interesting ML and AI partners. And yeah, I mean, it's hopefully anybody that this sounds interesting to, we'd love to chat about their data problems and, and see if we can help. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thanks, Kirk, yeah, for sharing the story, for sharing the wisdom that you've gained, the perspective that you have you know, on solving some, I would say, almost futuristic problems because you're following a map that's not being created yet. <laughs> very interesting to see what it can unlock when we really start to bring this technology alive and use it yeah, at a broad scale. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what we've accomplished now is interesting, but I think there's so much more that I'm excited about, like the next generation of adding all these pieces together. I think it's going to be really incredible. So I can't wait. Yeah, well, that was exactly what inspired me to kind of yeah, invite you for this call because there's a lot of things that have been done, but these things are so new. And I always like the stories behind this. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, thanks for the time. And this ends my conversation with Kirk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Kirk Marple, CEO of Unstruck Data. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. 
And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.